All right, we're continuing our study through the Old Testament. We're up to 2 Samuel chapter 20. We're going to jump into the middle of a story today, so let's get a little review and maybe some background here before we start in a passage. When David's son Absalom had led a rebellion against him, uh, if you remember, David was severely outnumbered because most of Israel had gone over to Absalom's side. So Absalom had a, a huge advantage in the number of soldiers that he had in his army compared to David's army at that time. But despite the advantage, David's men won the battle. You know, it was a, a miracle. And the reason he won was because God was on David's side. God gave David the wisdom to use the right battle strategy, and God gave David the victory. We saw last time, too, that even though all of the 12 tribes had joined Absalom's rebellion, now they're all in agreement to bring David back as king again. But before the 10 northern tribes had invited David back personally, David had gone to his own tribe of Judah, and he convinced them to have him back as their king. So as the tribe of Judah, if you remember, they were escorting David back to Jerusalem, and the tribe of Benjamin was with them too. Well, the other 10 tribes found out and they came to meet David and they were angry. <laughs> they didn't like the fact that I, uh, Judah was escorting King David and they hadn't been invited to be part of the, this procession. So the 10 northern tribes, they agreed with the men from the tribe, of, uh, I'm sorry, they argued with the, the men from the tribe of Judah and it got pretty heated. And it ended up with the 10 tribes losing that argument basically and that's what we see in the last statement of chapter 19. So if you want to look at chapter 19 towards the very last thing you see, it says, Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. So the battle had, had begun and it was uh, a bad time for Israel. They've got conflict going between the tribes. And uh, we jump then into verse 20. And here's um, chapter 20. Here's the, the story we're getting into. There happened to be there a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite, and he blew a trumpet. And he said, we have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So again, we see how fickle these people are. I mean, just a short time before, these 10 tribes had been on Absalom's side, and then we see them arguing about who's going to escort David back to Jerusalem. So they're back on that side. And now they don't want anything to do with David. So you ask the question, how does the Lord put up with us being so fickle at times? You know, it's like since these guys didn't get their way, now they're going to rebel. And that's, that's where these guys go. So let's take a look at this guy named Sheba from what the Lord tells us here. First, we're told that he was a rebel. Then we're told that he was a Benjamite, and then we're told that he blew a trumpet. <laughs> that word rebel, it's, it's interesting, can also be translated worthless person. And it literally means a man of Belial, which later came to mean a man of the devil. So we get from this that anyone who rebels against God is a worthless man of the devil. <laughs> and this man, Sheba, he's a rebel at heart. You know, that's his character. And guys like this, they like to get in front of a rebellion and they like to lead the charge. But after they accomplish their goal, then they don't know what to do. 
And that's why you see a lot of rebellions just kind of die out after the fact. They know how to lead a rebellion, but that's about all they know. They don't know how to lead anything else. So once they're in charge, they usually end up destroying what they just accomplished. And like somebody said, it's easier to tear down a building than it is to build it. (laughs) And that's normally how it goes. So this guy, Sheba, he is a rebel. He's in that camp. We're also told here that he was a Benjamite. And if you remember, the tribe of Benjamin, that's the tribe where King Saul came from. So this guy's probably had a chip on his shoulder ever since King Saul died and David became king instead of anyone from Saul's family line. Sheba was probably waiting around just for such an opportunity like this to step in and say, we have no part with David. (laughs) You know, and they get pretty loud once they see a door start to open for them too, an opportunity where they they can get in there. And you know, I think there are a lot of rebels, you know, once they see a door begin to open, they're, they're hiding in the shadows and they're just waiting for that opportunity to spring into action like this guy. Then we were told that he blew a trumpet. Well, rebels like to get attention, obviously. Today, these guys, they use the media in our time period. And if you notice, almost all of the media in our country seem to be rebels at heart anyway. So it's not too hard for them to promote the side of the rebel, you know. And you look what Sheba is saying here as the Lord tells us what his uh, announcement was. Some people said he's making a campaign slogan here as he throws these statements out about David. Uh, First he says we have no share in David. It means we don't have anything in David. What is he to us, you know? Well, honestly, he was the king who brought Israel to the peak of, of their existence at this point. I mean, they, did, they were very prosperous, but he's trying to say, we don't need this guy. You know, we have no part in him. Then he says, there's no inheritance in the son of Jesse, he calls David. Now, it means here, we aren't going to get anything out of following David. So why are you going that way? And he's actually trying to put David down, too, because his father, Jesse, he wasn't known as a great leader in Israel or anything. He wasn't a king and had a, you know, his dad wasn't king before him. Jesse was just a farmer who had a few sheep. So as he throws that out there, he's saying, his dad's a nobody, you know? So we got no inheritance. So there's no inheritance coming. So Sheba here was trying to work all the angles. And when Sheba said, every man to his tents, he put out that cry. He was saying, rebel with me. Let's go home and turn our backs on this man, David, who thinks he can be our king. (laughs) Isn't that Sheba a nice guy? And how many Shebas have you seen in your lifetime? (laughs) You know, these rebels at heart. So verse 2 goes on. So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan as far as Jerusalem remained loyal to their king. So there's a whole lot of people who rebelled against David, but there was a remnant, the tribe of Judah, that remained loyal. And we thank the Lord for the remnant, that there's always some the Lord has who remain loyal to his cause. The interesting thing is that the Lord is on David's side here. So he called David to be king, and the Lord doesn't take back his calling. Every one of these people that are going against David They're going against God on this one. You know, they're not thinking that one through too well. And and notice this too, that as a man of God and a leader, David had one more than one of these rebellions, you know, he ended up having to deal with. 
He had Absalom, which is really close to him. Now he's got this guy Sheba coming out of the, the shadows and coming after him. We shouldn't be all as surprised, you know, if we're trying to live for the Lord, just like David was here. And we have a few rebellions that happen in our life, too. I mean, usually when things go wrong, you ask yourself, what did I do wrong? Well, David's walking with the Lord here. He's trying to go back to Jerusalem. He's trying to stand up and be the king that God called him to. He isn't doing anything wrong. And yet he's got these rebellions coming after him. So it seems pretty normal that as we're following the Lord, we shouldn't be too surprised when people start to come against us. You know, we can examine our heart and say, Lord, am I doing something? Did I cause this? Did I bring this on? But if the Lord doesn't show us anything in our heart, then we have to say, well, I guess this is just one of these Sheba kind of situations we're going to have to deal with, you know. So verse 3 goes on. Now David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, who he had, kept to, uh, he had left to keep the house. Remember when he, went, uh, when he ran away when uh, Absalom was coming in, uh, David had to flee Jerusalem, and he left the concubines there to take care of the place. It says, he put them in seclusion and he supported them, but he did not go into them, so he had no intimacy with them. So they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. Now, it's interesting that the Lord would would put this verse right here kind of in the middle of this rebellion that's taking place, but I think he wants to show us something about David here. David, even though he's got a crisis boiling, you know, here that he's going to have to deal with, it shows that he was careful to take good care of these concubines that he had. He made sure they were provided for, even though he wasn't going to have any intimate relations with them again, because Absalom, remember, had raped them, so now they're basically considered defiled, and David is not going to do anything more in that area. So David shows respect for them, and he doesn't take advantage of them. You know, he makes sure they're put in a place where they'll be safe, their needs will be met, and that's the heart of David. Even when there's a crisis going on, he's still concerned about taking care of people. Now, we get a very sad lesson from this, too. It shows us how many people can get hurt because of our sin. I mean, you stop and think about what these dear ladies went through. First of all, David took them as as concubines, even though he had multiple wives for himself, you know. But for these ladies, it meant that they belonged to David and they could not get married to anyone else and they couldn't settle down, they couldn't have a normal family life. So they were deprived of that. And then when Absalom committed his sin with them, that added, you know, more damage to their lives now because they ended up being secluded and being treated like a widow for the rest of their days on this earth. Wow. You look how the sin of these two selfish men damaged the lives of all these women and how it deprived them and a possible husband they may have had, you know, uh, if it hadn't been for, for things like this. So we never will know what could have been, you know, if all this stuff hadn't happened to them in their life. And we should avoid, avoid sin too, obviously. A lesson you know, like this should wake us up to the fact that our sin can mess up a lot of other lives. You know, if we're not careful, we may really mess up someone's what could have been in their life. You know, and we pray, Lord, please help us avoid doing things that can cause major regrets in the future. So go on to verse four. The king said to Amasa, 
And Amasa here is the, the leader he put in charge of his army. He told him, assemble the men of Judah for me within three days and be present here yourself. So Amasa, he's that new commander of David's army. You remember David replaced Joab as commander after he found out that Joab was the one that had disobeyed a direct order from King David and he had killed his son Absalom. So David here was going to stop this rebellion as quickly as he could. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think he was amazed at how much support Absalom had gotten when he started his rebellion and how fast he got it, you know. Uh, so David here, he wasn't going to take any chances in allowing this rebellion with Sheba to get out of hand. So he's making plans. We've got to stop this quickly. Get the men here in three days and we're going to go after this guy. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think David is also saying how fickle these people are, you know, and how quickly they can follow a rebel. So you don't want to give them too much time either to, to jump on board. Yeah, so you don't want to waste any time when a rebellion like this starts. It can kind of be like a wildfire once it gets going. So down to verse 5. So Amasa, this leader now, he went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. Now, David's orders were very clear, three days, right? So Amasa's delay was not a smart move for him at all, and it's not helping the nation, okay? So this showed that Amasa, he's really not fit for this position as commander, and he was seen as an unfaithful man since he did not obey the king's order, especially in a dangerous situation like this where time was of the essence. You don't need a guy like this in leadership when you need him to be there at the moment, and he's like, uh, I got other things I need to do first, and I got to wash the car or whatever. I'll get with this in a minute, you know. And David's, David's like, that's not going to fly. So verse 6 goes on. David said to Abishai, this is another one of his commanders, he said, now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. He sees this guy is even more dangerous than Absalom. He says, take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape us. Now, Abishai was Joab's brother, and David's not going to call on Joab because Joab's still in a place of discipline here. So he calls on his brother Abishai, the next commander in charge here, and he wants him to lead David's soldiers and squelch this rebellion before it gains any more backing and support. So verse 7, So Joab's men with the Cherethites the Pelethites, and all the mighty men, these are the mighty men of David, they went out after him. And they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. So these troops here, some of them are known as Joab's men. They're going to follow that guy. And then there's the bodyguards, and those, that group is listed here. And it says all of David's mighty men. These are his special forces kind of guys. So these guys were set out on the hunt and they are good at it. I mean, you can almost feel the intensity in that verse when it says they took off to pursue this guy. They are, they're, they're going after him. So verse 8 says, uh, When they were at the large stone, which is Gibeon, in Gibeon, Amasa came before them. So this is that commander who was supposed to be doing his job. Well, he finds them here, and it says, Now Joab was dressed in battle armor. On it was a belt with a sword fastened in its sheath at his hips. And as he was going forward, it fell out. 
So somehow here, Amasa, he ended up meeting these guys at this particular spot. So they haven't found Sheba yet. They've just come to this area where they're, they're going to go further. So at this particular place, Amasa runs into them. And I don't know if he just happened to show up there or if someone had told him this is where you can meet the guys or what. But think about it. In Amasa's mind, he still thinks I'm in charge. So I think he was getting into the lead position. Because it says here that he came before them. But Joab here, he's pulling a stunt, okay? As he makes it look like he just dropped his sword. Kind of clumsy of him, but no big deal, really. (laughs) Well, watch what he does with this. Uh, In verse 9, Then Joab said to Amasa, Are you in health, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. Now, there's, there's nothing unusual about what Joab is, is saying or doing at this point. And actually, when he says, are you in health here, that word is shalom. So he's saying, are you at peace? You know, kind of just calming him by the words he's saying. And when he says brother to him, these guys really are related. They are cousins. So that really adds a disgust to what Joab is about to do. It shows us how ruthless Joab really is. You go to verse 10. But Amasa did not notice the sword that was in Joab's hand. So as Joab comes close to give him this kiss of greeting, it says, and he struck him with it in the stomach, and his entrails poured out on the ground, and he did not strike him again. Thus he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. Okay, so somehow... Joab has snuck a sword in his hand. And I don't know if he just, you know, nonchalantly picked up his sword that had fallen on the ground or if he let it lay there, giving the appearance that he was unarmed. But however he was armed, he had snuck his sword in his other hand. But somehow he caught his cousin Amasa off guard and he murdered him with one stab kill shot. I mean, Joab's a very seasoned warrior. He knows what he's doing, and he knew exactly how to take care of this guy. So he does that. I mean, wow, this, this Joab, he is cold, huh? Uh, you sure don't want to cross this guy. And then if you notice what it said at the end of verse 10, it says, uh, Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba from the son of Bichri. Him and his brother just went back to the hunt like nothing ever happened. <laughs> you know, <laughs> woo, these guys are something else. Wow. Uh, Verse 11. Meanwhile, one of Joab's men stood near Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, follow Joab. So this faithful follower of Joab is pressuring the rest of the troops to keep marching after Joab. Remember, Joab wasn't put in charge of anything at this point, but he's, the, he's a leader. I mean, that's a guy that does not stay in second place for long. He takes charge here, and even his brother Abishai is, is allowing all that to take place. So this guy is standing up saying, you all need to continue to follow Joab. And uh, it's interesting because he says, you want to keep marching after him. Well, for the sake of David, too, right? I mean, he puts that in there, uh, of David, of course, right? So, man, these guys, they are a tight team. I mean, Joab's men have been trained that you follow this guy and you get everybody else to follow this guy too. So they really know how to stick together. But they've got a bit of a problem right now in verse 12. 
But Amasa wallowed in his blood in the middle of the highway, right, where Joab stuck him there. And when the man, when the man saw that all the people stood still, he moved Amasa from the highway to the field, and he threw a garment over him. When he saw that everyone who came upon him halted. So there's this huge distraction. As the troops are coming through that area, they see the new commander dead or, or dying in the middle of the road. And it was a real showstopper. <laughs> These guys halted right there. They weren't going any further. So this faithful soldier of Joab decides to drag him off the road and just cover him up. Kind of like, don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain, huh? <laughs> yeah. So the way that they've been you know, driving, it's, it's amazing here. These guys, you see them stopping and halting the way they were. I know the, we've been, with the last few days we were driving home, we've been doing some running back and forth between the houses there, and we've been passing these two dead possums that are in the middle of the road. And whenever anything like that's in the middle of the road, you can't help but look at it, you know. Even when you don't want to, you, you still look, right? It's like one of those things you can't look away from, but you want to, you know. But these soldiers passing by Amasa were not only looking, they were so stunned that they just stopped and they stared. Now, what do you think was running through their minds? <laughs> you know, this is the new general that David appointed, and Joab just murdered him here right in front of us. So do you think they may have had some second thoughts about following a madman like that? <laughs> I don't know, but, you know, they were stunned, so they stopped. But look what happens here in verse 13. When he was removed from the highway, all the people went on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. So this guy's strategy worked. He got their minds off the dead commander and back on target with their mission. Go get Sheba. That's what you were challenged to do and ordered to do by David. Let's go get this job done. And man, these soldiers, their direction was, was put in the right area and they just took off after this now. So verse 14. He went through all the tribes of Israel, so he's searching for this guy, and Joab's going through all these places. It says he went to Abel and Beth Maaca and, uh, and well, all the Barites. So they gathered together and also went after Sheba here. So Joab, as he's going through these other tribes, other men are joining with him to get into to, uh, on his side to go after this, this rebel. Now think about it. When you saw David's mighty men marching through your town, you just knew that you better line up with them and not with the guys they're going after. <laughs> I imagine if you saw the intensity on the faces of, the, of these men, of David's here, when they're on the hunt like this, it'd probably just terrify you. <laughs> I mean, he's like, whoa, these guys are out and they're going to they're gonna achieve their goal. They're not, not going to stop. So verse 15, then they came and they besieged him. They found Sheba. He's in this city called Abel of Beth Maacah. And they cast up a siege mound against the wall. So they're starting to pile up dirt to get in there. And it stood by the rampart. And all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. So these guys have found out Sheba's in this town. And they're going at it full force. And they're not going to stop until they get their hands and swords on this guy no matter what. And they're going to tear this town down if they need to, you know, just to get this guy. At least that's what it's going to look like to any bystanders who are watching this attack take place. And uh, that, that'd be enough to, to shake you in your boots too. So verse 16. Then a wise woman cried out from the city, Hear, hear, please say to Joab, 
Come nearby that I may speak with you. Thank the Lord for wise women, you know. This lady is going to save a lot of lives by using her wisdom. And after we, hear, we see her solve this whole problem, we're going to say, man, we, we sure wish there were more wise women like her, and we could use some more wise men to listen to wise women like her too. You know, verse 17, when he had come near to her, so Joab does come in response to her calling. When he came near to her, the woman said, are you Joab? And if you notice in your Bible, if you have the italics there, the am is added. So when she said, are you Joab? He said, I you know, I mean, somebody said he's a man of few words. <laughs> he does a lot of his speaking with his sword. So when she asked him who he was, he said, I am. And then she said to him, hear the words of your maidservant. So she's coming humbly to speak to him. And he answered, I am listening. <laughs> so kind of interesting. We see this, this going on here. We have to ask ourselves, you know, are we listening ourselves when wisdom is speaking to us? Because the Lord does sent his wisdom our way. Verse 18, so she spoke, saying they used to talk in former times, saying they shall surely seek guidance at Abel, which is their city, and so they would end disputes. So this town, she's letting him know, they've got a reputation for giving wise counsel, and it was so well received that it ended disputes. Now that's a really good reputation to have. Okay, so verse 19, she said, I am among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. That's what she says about herself. I'm peaceful and faithful. You seek to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? So this lady is saying, why would you want to destroy a place like this that's been so very helpful throughout the years? And she goes on to say that she's a peaceful and faithful Israelite. She brings it in there that she's from Israel. So why would you want to destroy her? Then she says, why would you want to destroy an entire city and a mother in Israel of all places? You know, it's like, come on, guys, these are your own people you're, you're going after here. But she doesn't stop there. She says, why would you want to destroy the inheritance of the Lord. <laughs> she brings the Lord into it. She is good. And by her wisdom, she really knows how to pile on the guilt, huh? <laughs> I mean, if you take one step forward after all that she just piled on, it's like, wow, you must really be a bad dude. <laughs> so verse 20, Joab answered and he said, far be it, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. <laughs> this wise woman has Joab stuttering. <laughs> At least he's repeating himself, you know. So uh, if you could back off a strong man like this, you're doing pretty good. So verse 21, that is not so, but a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from this city. So Joab is now able to clearly identify who he's after. He names the guy, and he also names the charges that he has against him. He has come against the king, okay? So then he said, you know, if you deliver this guy and him only, I will depart from the city. So the woman said to Joab, watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. So, you know, this, <laughs> this lady here, 
I kind of picture her in my mind as maybe a little bit older, maybe the grandmotherly type, you know, but now grandma's going to toss a guy's head over the wall. I mean, wow, this lady, she's amazing. So the lesson is here, don't get on the wrong side of a wise woman and lose your head over it, right? Woo. Yeah, so verse 22, then the woman, in her wisdom, went to all the people. Now, can't you hear this woman? She's using her same wisdom, I think, on the people, convincing them that this is the right thing to do, <laughs> to, to do the head toss. <laughs> so she probably said, why should we let our whole, our whole town be destroyed over this one bad fellow? He's got charges against him. He's a convict, right? Why should all of us mothers be killed? Bringing that into it as well. And why should a useful town like ours in Israel be wiped out? Because that's what's going to happen if we don't do something here. So in order to save the Lord's inheritance, I can hear her saying, we're going to have to put Mr. Sheba's head over that wall. <laughs> and we need to do it quickly. <laughs> wow. Go get him, Grandma. Says they, they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and they threw it out to Joab. So they cut off his head and they said, here, Mr. Joab, catch. We're end of verse 22. Then he blew a trumpet and they withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. We notice some interesting, when, when Sheba blew the trumpet earlier in our passage, Men went to their tents, but they went in rebellion. But when Joab blew the trumpet, men went into their tents victorious. That's because even though Joab has some issues of his own, at least he was fighting on the side of the Lord. Amazing picture the Lord shows us there. So in uh, verse 22, it says, then the, women, uh, in her, then the woman in her wisdom had told the people this, and and Joab, he blew the trumpet, every man withdrew to his tent, and then finally it says, so Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. Now, when, when Joab went back to the king, I'm sure he had some answering to do, but I would think that David was relieved to know that Sheba's rebellion was brought to a close. I think David had such confidence in his men, he knew when I send them out, they're not coming back until the job is complete. So uh, even though Joab is the one that shows up to talk to him, I'm sure David was thankful that, that the job was done. Then verse 23, it says, And Joab was over all the army of Israel. So Joab was allowed to return to his position because he was good at it. And I think David figured it was probably best for the nation to have such a skilled warrior in charge. But David did not forget the murders that Joab committed and he would have him dealt with by Solomon, his son, later on when he became king. So Joab wasn't going to get away with what he had done wrong. He was going to pay a price for that. But at this time, he's given grace because he's still being used here uh, by the Lord's people. So it's interesting, kind of like some folks today, you know, they've got judgment coming. You may not see it happen right away, but know that people aren't getting away with anything. They will pay the price sooner or later there. We're then told in verse 23 about this guy named Beniah, the son of Jehoiada. He was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And those are the, uh, the bodyguards that David had. These were highly skilled guys, and this is a guy who was in charge of them. He's going to come back in the story later on, too, in other passages. We'll, we'll see him there. 
Then in verse 24, it says, Adoram was in charge of revenue, which is kind of interesting. It tells us that taxation had started. Apparently, I needed more funds to keep everything going as time had gone on here because David has been ruling for quite a few years. So uh, Adoram was in charge of revenue. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilu, was recorder. Then it says Shiva was scribe. Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. Then it says in Ira, the Jerite, was a chief minister under David. And David's chief minister here was kind of like his own personal priest. And I don't know why David required it at that time, but the Lord tells us these are the people that he kind of had in charge of things. Uh, so he had, he had help. That was apparently really good help to help him uh, rule in Israel there. So one of the lessons we get here is that Sheba was kind of like a snake in the grass, just waiting to strike. So they cut off the head of the snake before he could do any more damage. <coughs> and we know who the serpent represents in Scripture, right? So the lesson for us when the devil tries to strike, we need to take off his head as well. And we do that by the sword of the Spirit. So we can use the truth of God's word to stop him. And if you remember, Jesus taught us that same thing by his own example when the enemy came after him. So I hope you don't have any rebellions in your life going on right now. And uh, I hope you don't have any coming in the near future. But the Lord shows us here how bad it looks to be on the side of the rebellion and how, how kind of shameful it looks for people to have to jump on the right side after they started out on the wrong side. But praise the Lord, he is full of grace and he allows us the opportunity to get back in line with him, to get back in the saddle and to follow him when that, uh, that time comes. So we're gonna stop at this point because the next part gets into a little uh, more things here. We wanna have time to, to talk on and share on that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and I thank you for the lessons you teach us. And Lord, as you show us here that you can handle things, you can deal with things when even rebellions come up against your people. Lord, I pray you'd help us not to be on the wrong side of rebellion. I pray, Lord, you'd give us grace that we would always sense your spirit calling and the direction you have for us. Help us, Lord, to surrender to your will in our life. And Lord, if we have to face these times where the enemy sends people against us, please, Lord, give us grace, give us wisdom and how to deal with things. And we thank you always for the protection you give us from the enemy. So, Lord, all the praise goes back to you for that. If anyone's here today, Lord, and they've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray today you would help them, Lord. We know that Jesus died to pay for our sins on the cross, and then he said, it is finished. So he did the complete work for us. And we, we serve a, a Lord who finished the things, and he's offered us a finished salvation. So, Lord, I pray if someone is here that, that does not receive Jesus before, help them today to surrender to you and to ask Jesus to come into their life, Lord, and receive that full forgiveness. So, Lord, we give you back all the praise for that as well. Thank you for our time and your word, and you get all the glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen.